And one is a simile of the waft, as a very famous one, where the Buddha says that the Dhamma is just like a waft. It's simply a tool, it's a means, it's not the end. And even if we study every single word that the Buddha has taught, we are not arriving at the destination by just knowing everything about the waft. But the point is, once we have a waft, to actually use it to cross over to the other shore. That is a, another well-known simile. The Sangsava, the circle of birth and death, is considered like the great ocean of the suffering of Sangsava, of repeated birth and death, and the whole ocean of rebirth and again rebirth and dying and reborn and dying and all the suffering. And then uh, the Dhamma is capable of carrying us you know, across to the safe shore, near the end of Sangsava, uh, the freedom from formations, the freedom from defilements, the freedom from uh, conditioned phenomena, Sankhavas. And the Dhamma, the Buddha's teaching, is not the end, it's only a means to the end. And the end, what we finally aim for in our practice as Buddhist, as the Sakya Buddha, as the sons of the Sakyans, followers of the Sakyan sage, followers of the Buddha, what we're always aiming for is that very Nibbana, that other shore, that freedom, that liberation. And for example, you know, the Buddha uses that simile by saying, if someone makes use of the raft by paddling across you know, the river or the ocean or whatever, and then they reach the other shore, maybe they now carry the raft on their head, oh, it's no longer necessary. There's no need for someone who has realized Nibbana, to be overly you know, attached even to the Dhamma which has got him across. And that point is, is really, you're, you're correct, it's just so important to understand that. So whatever we learn and study about the five khandhas, four noble truths, dependent origination, about the Buddha and the great disciples, about samadhi and vipassana, about the spiritual faculties, about faith, energy, mindfulness, samadhi, wisdom. Now all of that is not an end in itself. And if we end up studying that and studying and learning more and more, it would be like someone building a perfect raft but not really using it. And the waft doesn't necessarily have to be absolutely perfect. 
It only has to be good enough to get you across. Of course, if you have a kind of luxury raft with a motor, it becomes more like a boat or a cruise ship, it will be easier to get across. So if we really know the Dhamma well, it should support our practice of getting us across to Nibbana. But even a very simple raft can be enough as long as we are using it. And if we have uh, gigantic cruise ships that we can sail across very smoothly, but we spend all our time building that thing without ever letting it to water and then paddling across, then there's no point. That is the same with what is called the wide view, particularly so-called Lokya Samaditi, you know, the worldly wide view, someone who has not yet realized the Dhamma in their heart, but they have conviction, they have faith, they have confidence in rebirth. You know, they believe, they trust, they have faith in what the Buddha and the Kuba Ajans teach, that uh, death is not the end, but that consciousness will connect to a new life and that we will experience you know, the results of our karma, all our good actions coming back as happiness, bad actions coming back as the pain and disappointment and suffering, and that we are reborn in the different you know, realms of existence according to our purity and our karma. Now, these are all um, wide view which are based on, on faith but this belief that faith, that conviction is not the end the whole point about that is that this particular view if we have faith in that that will help us to ultimately develop and realize you know, the true wide view which is the insight and wisdom faculty in the heart of the noble ones. And that is so different from, I think, many other religions. The point is not just whether you believe something is right, whether your beliefs are right or wrong in an absolute sense, but it's more like whether your beliefs are helpful and supportive and whether they can be used as a tool to move you closer to Nibbana. And everything should have that purpose. It's not only the Dhamma we are studying being a waft to carry us across. It's the same with your practice of generosity. When in any case you will get the reward of happiness and joy and wealth and good fortune in the future when you make good karma. But in a sense that would be a little bit wasting it if it goes only for that. But a true Dhamma practitioner will deliberately turn their practice of generosity into another tool, into another kind of waft or part of that waft part of that boat to ferry you across. 
And then generosity is not an end in itself. And the good karma you're generating is, even that is not an end in itself. But you're using the practice of generosity to purify your heart, to make your heart bright, radiant, joyful, so that you can develop samadhi. And you develop samadhi again, not as an end, but samadhi, although it's already very enjoyable in it by itself, but ultimately the more important part is again it's a tool because it will allow you to see things as they truly are. It will allow you to have yatabhuta, jnana dasana, the seeing things as they really are. When that is true insight, so samadhi as a basis for deep insight and to strengthen your wisdom. So that is so important. Uh, really happy you brought that up. That everything we do as Dhamma practitioner is not an end in itself, but it's just meant to support the practice of ultimately realizing that freedom of Nibbana in the heart. And some people get into the danger that they study the Dhamma and it's just like building this raft. And obviously you can always improve it. But what's the point if you spend all your life building a raft to get across to the other side of the river, but you never put it to water and you never use it? And then you have gotten a, a super beautiful raft, which is no longer a simple raft, but more like a cruise ship. And then you die over it and have never used it. Or you may end up now arguing with another person who's building a raft, who's got the better one. This is like people getting into arguments about the Dhamma, some subtle points, subtle differences in interpretation. It would be like two people being on this shore, building their raft, and then arguing which one is better. That's not the point. The point is put it to water and use it. It doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be good enough not to float you. So if our understanding, our study of the Dhamma is very deficient, that would be like a waft which is sinking. That wouldn't be helpful. But once the waft is good enough now that it can float you, then it's more important to actually get going and to start paddling than to further improving the waft. And uh, if we really want to push our practice ahead, we always have to keep that in mind. When we are chanting, doing puja, again, that should be a tool, that should be a support so that our heart can either develop samadhi, chanting can be very focusing and calm, calming, or it should be a tool when you understand the chanting and you reflect and that chanted with understanding that to develop wisdom and insight. When you're sitting meditation, it's not an end in itself. 
but it shouldn't carry you across. That is why the Buddha also talks about different motivations for giving, for generosity. And the highest motivation for generosity, for dana, he calls citta lankara, citta parikara. One gives, one is generous as an ornament uh, for the mind. The generosity becomes an adornment, an ornament, jewelry for the mind. Or parikada, a requisite, an equipment. You're equipping your mind with the joy and happiness and purity and brightness that generosity generates. And then you're using that purity, that brightness, that adornment to develop samadhi and insight. So it would be counterproductive to do something and your mind actually becomes darker. Then maybe you're... Uh, you feel, oh, I have to do chanting, I should do chanting, and then you do it, and then you just hate doing it, and you're sitting there and you don't like it, and your mind is just uh, uh, upset and negative, and after you've done your chanting, then your mind is further down than before. This is completely useless. It would be better to just sleep then. But it should be done in such a way that it actually has a positive impact on the mind. This is why even when going on pilgrimage, now I felt it was so important that you give people enough time that they can actually enjoy it. And sometimes these pilgrimages, they are so rushed. And people seem to take it as an end in itself. The final purpose and the end of going on pilgrimage is that you are physically in that location and that you get a photo or a selfie with me in front of the Mahabodhi temple and then our whole group in, in front of the Bodhi tree and our whole group in front of this. But this is not really the purpose and end of a pilgrimage. The whole idea of the pilgrimage is that your mind will be filled with faith and brightness and joy. And if you're just really sick and fed up and you hate India and was so stressful and I had a headache and I never go again, I absolutely hate it, and this is your mind, what's the point? So check out, even in your meditation, the point is not just sitting there for an hour and maybe hating it, because the end of meditation is not to sit a certain number of hours or anything like that. The whole purpose is to develop positive, beneficial, wholesome mind states. So we always have to check when we meditate whether that is the case or whether we are just getting uh, grumpy. <laughs> some, people, some people can get quite grumpy when they meditate a lot because 
somehow they don't enjoy it, I'm not sure what they're doing. And, but then it would be better to just sleep rather than meditate, because at least you may not be grumpy. You know, if, if meditation is just generating aversion and grumpiness, then it's counterproductive. So when we sit down, we should look not only at our meditation object. For sure you have to focus on your meditation object. But we should always look at the mind in general. What is the mind like while I'm meditating? And if you only focus on, say, you know, the breath, yeah, my nose and then feeling of the breath, and you focus, focus, and you may not notice that your mind is actually grumpy, unsatisfied, unhappy. It will not really work. And there's no point in that focusing. And one has to, you know, the awareness has to be sufficiently wide, or one has to make a special effort in investigating what is the meditation actually doing to my mind. It's not just on the meditation object, on the meditation object, but also looking at what, what is the mind like while focusing on the meditation object. In the Anapana Sati instructions, the, the instructions the Buddha has given us about mindfulness of the breath, that is the uh, third one there, third Satipatthana. The Chitta Patisangvidi Asasasamiti. Experiencing the mind, becoming aware of the mind, knowing the mind. One breathes in and out. Not just narrowly where you feel the breath, but while breathing in and out, experiencing the whole mind. And then the abhippa moda yang chitang, exceedingly delighting the mind while we breathe in and out. And some people, you know, they may be thinking they're doing anapanasati, but they may be doing the opposite, you know, darkening the mind while they're breathing in and out, or filling the mind with uh, discontent while they're breathing in and out, and then it's actually not anapanasati according to the instructions. It's something completely different. Samadhaṁ chitaṁ, unifying the mind, making the mind more samādhi, concentrating, focusing, unifying. Vimotrayaṁ chitaṁ, freeing the mind. Don't meditate like enmeshing or restricting or imprisoning your mind. Meditation is not an imprisonment. Don't perceive it as an imprisonment. Oh, I would love to go out and have some fun, but now I have to sit in our meditation like, like a poor prisoner. With that attitude, will not work. The meditation is for freeing, for liberating, for delivering, for releasing the mind. That's the attitude we cultivate.